Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. We went and had him tested again with another doctor in town, and she diagnosed him with the same disorder, you know, the cognitive disorder. And we just wouldn't say we accepted it right away, but as we grew with him, it just became part of our home. It's who God gave us, and we accepted that. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I'm Frank Jaworski, and I'm your guest host. My wife, Anna, is usually the host of this program, but for Heart Month, I offer to do a special program on Sundays. This is the second of four Heart Dad Sundays, and I have a very special guest I'll be talking with today. Today's show is entitled Beyond the Heart, when neurological problems accompany HLHS. Rob Springham is a recently retired UPS driver. He and his wife, Linda, are parents to two sons. Michael will soon be a 25-year-old hypoplastic left heart syndrome, or HLHS, heart warrior. Because of his congenital heart defect, or CHD, Michael has cognitive disabilities along with other health issues. As a child, Michael needed a feeding tube for two years, eye surgery, and foot surgery. For Michael, the biggest challenge he has on a daily basis is the cognitive challenge he battles. Welcome to Heart Dad Sunday, Rob Springham. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you, Rob. It's been a while since you and I have had a chance to talk. Now, you and I are both veteran dads for CHDers. Can you tell me about Michael and when his heart defect was diagnosed? When Linda was five months pregnant, the nurse who was doing her ultrasound, she saw that on the screen, and obviously that was the start of our story. Okay. So at that point, what did you do? We prayed a lot. And unfortunately, there was a doctor who actually recommended an abortion. And that was not in the card for us at all. And we decided God gave us this child and we were going to have this child regardless of the defect in his heart. So who did they refer you to initially for So after she was diagnosed with the heart defect in the baby, we started going to Arnold Palmer Hospital in Orlando, and we were seeing a cardiologist on a regular basis up until the birth. Is that where Michael was born? Yes. And that would not have been your normal hospital to have the baby at? At the time, in 1997, Dr. Gary Haas had started the Congenital Heart Surgery Center in Arnold Palmer, and that was our only option other than going out of state or to Miami, I believe. Well, in a sense, you were lucky you had an option right there in the state. Yes, it turned out to be a great option, and 
I'd never forget Dr. Gary Haas. He was just a wonderful individual. Did Michael have surgery soon after his birth? So when Michael was born that night, they did a heart cath on him right away, and they determined the, the severity of his defect. I believe they did not know his type of defect until they did the heart cath. And it was basically eight days after he was born, he had his first surgery. That's actually similar to our experience. Alex wasn't diagnosed until after he was born, eight weeks after. But although they had an ultrasound that showed a complex heart defect, they couldn't say for sure what it was until it was cath. And in Michael's case, a St. Joe's Hospital in Tampa is where they did all the open heart surgeries at that time. So he was transported, I want to say, probably in the first three or four days of birth, they transferred him over to Tampa, and that's where he had all of his surgeries at. Okay. Now, I know that you've been married to Linda for quite a while. Can you tell me the name and age of your other son? Yeah, Linda and I will be celebrating 30 years this October, and I have one other son. His name is Brian, and he is 26, and he lives in Michigan. Excellent, in Michigan. And I understand you just got some good news from them. We did. We were just told that right before this podcast that we are going to have our first grandchild and it's going to be a baby boy. That's wonderful. Very exciting for you. I know how that feels. Yes. Now, is Brian older, you said, or younger than, than Michael? Brian is a year and a half older than Michael. Okay. Now, Rob, we know from the bio at the top of the show that Michael had additional complications. Can you tell us the chronology of the issues he had and the procedures he had? Yes. So when Michael was born, he had his first surgery, eight days old, and that was called the Norwood. And then at six months, they did the Glenn surgery. And then at 22 months, they did the Fontaine with him. And after that, he wasn't eating well, so they put a feeding tube and him, I'd say probably about two years old, he had a feeding tube. And that was for two years, we fed him through the tube. And then later on in life, he did have strabismus in his eyes, where his eyes were, I think, crooked. And they corrected that. And then he had some feet issues where in his early teens, he had the foot surgery. So the heart surgery first, and then the surgeries to deal with the other issues involved. Yeah, that all came with the package. <laughs> and how did he do with the weaning from the tube feeding to normal food? Did that go pretty smoothly? I want to say it did. It's been a long time. It's been 20-something years since then. But it was a big, big step for us, husband and wife, you know, changing the feeding tube. But we got pretty good at it. And it was a good transition. Still has a nice scar there in his belly from where it was at. Right. So, Rob, I know that in addition to these other issues, the strabismus and the foot problems, that at one point he was diagnosed with cognitive issues. How did that come about? There was a point in his early childhood that we knew something wasn't right. The cognitive issues didn't start until school. So Linda was a teacher's aide at the local elementary school, and Michael was in kindergarten and first grade. And we just we knew something wasn't right. And we kind of just went with the flow for probably a good two years. And then we took the big step, went to a psychologist. Okay. And that's when he was diagnosed as mentally retarded. 
And I remember we didn't want to accept that at the time. And we actually had him tested by another lady who we felt more comfortable with. And she diagnosed the same scenario with him as being mentally retarded. Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home tonight forever. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Rob, before the break, we learned a little bit about Michael's heart condition and the additional problems he faced growing up. In this segment, let's talk about the cognitive issues he's battled. First of all, when did you discover he had a cognitive problem? Michael was, I'm going to say, six or seven years old, and we had him diagnosed with a cognitive disability, and that was the start of many, many, many sessions at school, and we went outside the school system and paid for personal learning for him, and we really didn't get anywhere, and then we realized that, you know, he is diagnosed with about a 10 to 12 year old mentality. You mean currently? Yeah, he'll have that the rest of his life. Okay. Okay. And do you think that it was it you and your wife that noticed it first? Was it the schools? It was definitely us that we noticed that we knew something wasn't right. And even to this day, he's perfectly happy hanging around with the kids at church who are, you know, 14 and 15. He just clicks with them. Okay. Good. I'm glad he's found people to be peers with. That's great. Yeah. No, and another thing, we homeschooled Michael for a short period of time, thinking that we could do a better job in the school system. And eventually, in about ninth grade, we put him in special ed at the local high school. And he excelled tremendously when he got around other kids who had similar issues. Well, that's good. It's good to have peers with the same challenges and the same level of ability. It gives you a feeling of camaraderie and performance you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, all the kids at school actually looked up to Michael because he was just a step ahead of a lot of them with their issues. Well, good for him. I'm glad he had that experience of being not just the lowest kid in the group, but he could be a leader too. He was a leader in special ed, which was really cool. Now, when he was first diagnosed, what kind of testing did Michael have to undergo? You know, other than the psychologist that we brought him to originally, we were devastated when she gave us her results. And we 
We went and had him tested again with another doctor in town, and she diagnosed him with the same disorder, you know, the cognitive disorder. And we just wouldn't say we accepted it right away, but as we grew with him, it just became part of our home. It's who God gave us, and we accepted that. Well, that kind of faith and acceptance is very important. You love people in your family no matter what. I thought for a long time myself that if Alex ever had a problem like a stroke, which obviously is a possibility with surgeries of various kinds, that no matter what happened to him, he'd always be our son and we'd take care of him. Would you say that he battles cognitive issues on a daily basis? Yeah. So Michael, he doesn't drive. He really wanted to drive and he just could never grasp the driver's handbook. And there was a few times I brought him out on the golf course and he just didn't have that quick thinking that you need when you're behind the wheel of a vehicle. That was part of it. You know, the driving is a big point. We obviously drive him everywhere he needs to go. And I think he's come to accept that over the last couple of years. He went through a point where he was studying the book, but he just, I don't think he was understanding it. Are there other issues aside from driving that really affect him or frustrate him? Well, he has no concept of money. Money means nothing to him, you know, and he has no understanding of how much things cost. Like if the pizza guy brings a pizza, he'll give him a $10 tip on a $14 pizza. (laughs) And we got to control his spending. He has a certain amount of money that we allow him to have. And then after that, we control what he buys. And every once in a while, he'll slip something by us. But for the most part, he struggles with money. He struggles with handwriting. He writes very large, what you would expect a younger child to write. He's actually a pretty good speller. He's a pretty smart boy considering what issues he has. He works three days a week at a local restaurant in the kitchen. And I think other than the driving part, that's the one thing I think if you asked him, that would be the one thing he would like to do. Yeah, I was going to ask you if he was able to work. What kind of work does he do for the restaurant? He is a uh, kitchen prep. Wow, okay. And even today with Super Bowl coming up Sunday, he said he filled up like 250 ranch dressing cups and he cut chicken for like five hours. Yeah, I can imagine there's a ton of prep work right now for that weekend. Holy cow. Yeah, and he really loves working there. He just feels like you know he's part of a team. Sure. He's been through a couple of bosses over the last couple of years, and I'm not really sure his new boss knows that he might have a cognitive issue. But his old boss actually had a child with issues also, and they actually got along really good. It's actually kind of a compliment that his new boss doesn't even know he has a cognitive issue. Yeah. He accepts him as a worker. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I don't really, I don't believe he does. Well, how good for him. There's a sense of accomplishment that you can't get any other way than by doing a job yourself and being successful. So good for him. Yeah. He actually just got a raise last week and the boss said he's been doing a great job and, you know, it's hard to get anything out of him when he comes home, but it was nice that his boss gave him a raise and said he was doing good work. Excellent. Very good. What other kind of activities does he do aside from work? Well, we're super involved in Special Olympics. He plays basketball. He's six foot two and he plays basketball. He plays volleyball. He plays softball. He bowls. And that's the four sports that he's involved in Special Olympics. And since COVID, Special Olympics has taken a big hit. Mm. We did actually bowl this year. 
But as far as the softball, the volleyball, there's been none of it. Right. Might be a while before that comes back. And then I feel bad for all the other kids because that's one of their outlets is getting together as a group and playing a sport. Absolutely. And good for Michael that he gets to do that. Is he a better bowler than you? No, but we actually just joined a bowling league just to get out and do something. Absolutely. He doesn't have the patience, but he's actually a really good bowler. It's almost like if you can picture Fred Flintstone throwing the ball down the middle of the alley. That's how Michael bowls. I have a little more finesse in my shot, but Michael's straight down the alley as fast as he can throw it. Hey, I can picture that. Hey, Fred Flintstone (laughs) loved that, so good for him. (laughs) This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Before the break, we were talking about Michael's cognitive challenges. Now I'd like to talk to Rob about Michael's future. First of all, can you tell us how Michael's heart is doing now? Michael goes to his cardiologist in Orlando twice a year now. And the doctor is super happy with the strength of his heart. He did have his first heart cath last year since his surgeries. And the doctors were excited with the way it looked. But because of the complexity of it, he will need a new heart. Somewhere down the line, they don't know. It could be five years, 10 years, 15 years. That's something that is unseen right now. But it's going to be a fact of life where he will need a heart transplant somewhere down the road. Okay. So his last surgery at this point was when he was 22 months old. Correct. He did have an infection. He got a staph infection from... His last surgery, and he did go back in, and they opened him up to clean the staph infection. But as far as heart surgeries, he hasn't had any others. Got it. Yeah. We've had a slightly different experience. Alex had his surgeries the last one when he was 10 months old. Then he went back at the age of 17 years and had a redo of his Fontan and some other work done also to change the size of his aorta, which had dilated quite a bit. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know in Michael's case, I try not to get too technical because it's above my pay grade, but he does have a leaking valve, but it's within reason for the doctors not to close it up. Right. Right. 
So what they're assessing him for every six months is how he's doing and if he's developing any new problems. Yeah, basically they do one of those color Doppler scans. Right. And they can see where he does have the leaking vessels, how bad they're doing. And that's pretty much the main reason we go, just to see how everything's pumping. Good. Good. And how does he handle these visits? Uh, He's a champ. It's just routine now. Now, aside from his heart, does Michael receive special services from the county or city you live in for his cognitive issues? Michael, he's been on Social Security SSI for, I'm going to say, probably 15 years now. And since I retired from UPS, he got kicked off my insurance. So now he is on 100% Medicaid. Got it. So does that affect where he goes for care? It does. Actually, my wife, Linda, this week, they went and met his new doctor at the Brevard County Health Services, and she liked him. They took his history, and they're going to do a little blood work just to see where his blood levels are at as far as cholesterol and things like that. We're a little leery about going to the county health department, right? since we've been fortunate to have the best doctors at our disposal. And Linda was pleasantly surprised that it was just a clean operation. People were very nice, and she was super happy when she got home from that. So all he's being seen for is his cardiac problems. He's not doing any ongoing therapy or training for his cognitive disability. No, we're not doing that no more. Another side effect, and Anna might be more aware of this, but Linda had found that some of these heart patients actually lose their hearing from all the things they went through. So Michael's very hard of hearing in his left ear, and my daughter-in-law had an extra set of hearing aids, so we took them home with us, and he can actually hear better with them, but he won't wear them. So we haven't pushed the fact of hearing aids yet. It's a little frustrating. I've seen a lot of patients myself who don't like to wear hearing aids. Yeah, but he does say he hears better, but it's not a do-or-die situation with that right now. You said, Michael, he is able to work and he loves working in the kitchen. How long has he been doing that? He has been working there for about almost four years now. Excellent. Very good. He bounced around a couple of little odds and end jobs, but this is his first real job. So his hearing problems don't cause any interference with his work in the kitchen? No, I believe he's got selective hearing. You know, here's what he wants. <laughs> don't and, we all? Uh, Yeah. So I'm the enforcer in the family, so I can strike fear into him when it comes to his hearing. (laughs) Now, there's one thing I do want to talk about. It's a sensitive topic, but it's something that we heart dads and moms need to think about when we have a child with multiple handicapping conditions. And that is, have you made any preparations for Michael after you and Linda are unable to care for him? Yeah, that's been a very big topic with my wife and I. And we have some good friends who had a special needs son. And I had some really good conversation with this gentleman, and he highly recommended not to put that burden on my older son as far as taking care of him, because he felt that it would affect their family life. And we're in a position in life where it's getting closer with my older son, if God forbid something happened to us from a financial standpoint. And that I'm hoping that he would do the right thing and not so much take him in, but he would look after him if it was either in a group home or he got his own apartment. It's definitely something we think about a lot. 
well, even if they weren't able to take care of him directly, obviously, he can kind of direct things that happen to him and help guide him so he goes to the right place. Yeah. And the one thing Linda and I have done his whole life is we've taught him life skills. So he's very capable of staying here on his own. Last year was the first time we let him stay in the house by himself. And we were down about an hour south at a timeshare. And he can do his own laundry. He can cook his own food. I got to get on him a little bit when it comes to shaving and grooming, cleaning the bathroom, those things that boys just don't do good. Uh, But all in all, he's actually kind of a neat freak in a way. Well, good, good. That's a good habit for anybody to have. Yeah. I know it's hard to plan for these kind of things, but it's it's the responsibility you have to take on. Yeah. And like I say, it's going to be one of those things I'm going to have a heart to heart with my older son and just see where he stands. If he'd be willing to, you know, when that day comes for us, that he would take him up to Michigan where he lives and he would have enough money to supply his needs that he needs for housing and food. Like you said, if he could find a group home or something like that, where he could work, that'd be good. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a tough conversation to have, but it's what you have to do. No, it's life. I look at life that way though. You do what you have to do. So, Rob, given that Michael is legally an adult by age, but functions at a preteen level, have you and Linda sought legal guardianship for medical decisions for him? No, we have not. Is that a thing that you are pursuing for the future to provide the best care? It's something that I believe that we should look into and see what our choices are as far as in the state of Florida. So what do you do to help him manage his financial affairs? He has his own bank account and Linda is considered a representative payee. So she can sign checks for him in his name. And she has total access to his bank account. So you have a trust that runs his finances. And we also created a special needs trust through a lawyer here. And that protects our assets and his assets in case something ever happened. It's very smart. works both ways. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for coming on the show and talking to us about your son and how he's dealing with both his heart condition and the cognitive problems that have plagued him throughout his life. Well, thank you for having me on the show also. I really enjoyed talking with you today, and it's been my pleasure to spend time with you. Mine too. It's been a couple of decades since you and I had a chance to sit down and talk. This is very nice. Correct. I can still picture that day in that little restaurant somewhere up in Panama City. We had lunch that day. So, If I recall correctly, that was our favorite place in Panama City. It's a little Italian place we used to go to. Was it Italian? I couldn't remember if it was Italian or Mexican. Okay. Well, that's all for this week's episode. If you enjoyed this special episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash heart to heart. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.